Well, as we turn back to Hebrews 12, back to Hebrews 12, today we'll be talking about having victory over sin. And just a reminder, we're, 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 we're at the 10,000 view, right? So like last week, we were looking at Hebrews 11. And, and again, when you're looking at Hebrews 11, I mean, you're almost reviewing, you know, the entire Old Testament, just in Hebrews 11, it's it's impossible to to unravel every uh, every every word and every verse of Hebrews 11. Which is why the the assumption is that you're reading your your word, you're reading your scriptures, so that when 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 God just kind of throws out by faith Abraham by faith. Uh, Noah, you, you know, you get it. You instantly are familiar with, uh, with the scriptures. And so today we we take another look at a, a at a powerful um, chapter. And by no means is is one uh, Sunday enough time to spend uh, with this this great chapter. In fact, as when I look at just the first verse, there's so much here in this first verse that we could camp out on that, you know, would take us forever. But but we want to get our, our arms wrapped around kind of the, the the bigger picture, the bigger purpose of the chapter theme. And and that is ultimately having victory over sin. And and as I was preparing and meditating Ironically, you know, just different things kind of come across your ears, your eyes, your path during the week, right? And one of those was the Iditarod race. I don't know why, um, although I do. It's just kind of one of those God things. But if you're familiar with the Iditarod race, it's it's an, it's an unbelievable uh, sled dog race. And, and part of the, the the theme in Hebrews 12 is 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 a race which is ironic. And so in the Iditarod, if you're not familiar with it, well, one of the cool things about this race, it's kind of like the, you know, the Boston Marathon or New York Marathon where these races are so epic that just finishing is winning, right? If you finish, you get a medal. Um, so, you know, you could be in, you know, 2,352nd place and could take you 30 hours. But if you start and stay on the path and cross that finish line, you get a medal. Pretty cool when you think about it. And I, I know there was a time as an athlete that I would not have said pretty cool. I would have been one of those, hey, only the winner wins. Second place is first loser, right? Um, but time has softened me a little bit and definitely the Lord has, has changed me. But let me lay out the Iditarod. So the Iditarod is is this 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 race where you got mushers and, and you have this team of 14 uh, huskies, you know, these dogs, right? And they go a thousand miles from Anchorage to Nome. So that's kind of like going from from Orlando to New York. Take a couple days by car if you're driving. Takes anywhere and has taken anywhere from eight days to 20 days um, by sled dogs. The reason why is First of all, the terrain is insane. It's it's like the worst of the worst of Alaska. And if you've ever talked to somebody from Alaska or watched this show in Alaska, you'll hear this phrase, 
they'll just say, yeah, that, that's Alaska. Like when it's really, really bad, you know, the mountain range, the hills, that's Alaska. And so you've got like jagged mountain ranges, frozen rivers that, that is the course. Could you imagine the course is going on a frozen river? It's like, I don't know much, but I don't go on rivers that are frozen over. I don't care if trucks are going over them. I, I don't have that confidence. They go through these crazy dense forests where you can't even see, so you're relying on the dogs. Uh, desolate, just kind of frozen tundra. The temperature can be anywhere up to 70, no, minus 70 degrees, minus 70 degrees. Uh, waist deep, they go through waist deep snow and water. You know, we just experienced like what, two feet of snow that we barely slushed in. Um, they have 26 checkpoints. The reason why they have checkpoints is one, yes, so that people stay on course, but the other one is make sure that they're, they're alive, that they still make it. In fact, usually they start these races with a thousand dogs, 300 uh, don't make it, don't finish because of, now get this, sickness, injury, dehydration, pools, torn Achilles, fractures, viruses. I mean, this is a rigorous race. And these are the dogs that are going through this. One to two dogs usually die of hyperthermia. So Pete is going crazy over this race. But here's the deal. As, as rough as this race is, um, and, and, the, and the winner is, I mean, everybody, you know, acknowledges that they're amazing. But they also acknowledge if you can just finish this thing, it's an amazing accomplishment. An amazing accomplishment. And you know what they do after they endure all this heartache, all this agony, all this, this trial and these obstacles? You know what they do? They do it again. They do it again. And you say, wow, that's, that's insane. Well, I bring this up because you need to understand that you're in a race. That your life is a race. And you know what I would venture to say? Most of us would probably say, yeah, I, I, I don't like this course. I don't like this stage of the race that I'm in. There's been many different checkpoints and stages that I, I would much rather have not done, would never do again, don't want to do them again. And if given the, the choice, just imagine given the choice right now, and we have different ages here to say, okay, you're going to do it again. You're going to go through it again. And I'm not talking about the fun stuff. I'm talking about the hard stuff, the really hard stuff. And throw this in there. You know, it's Alaska. It's life. We don't know what the weather's going to bring this year. It could be worse this go around, even though you've been through it before. Well, that's the race of life that we are in right now. We're in it. We're, we're in the thick of it. And so as we come to Hebrews 12, as we look at the big picture of Hebrews, uh, the book of Hebrews, which points us back to this, this, this better way right Jesus Christ is better than the old covenant is better than the old laws better than the old priests better than than the old way of of thinking of salvation this is better and, and part of the piece is well how do we then live 
how do we live as, as people of faith? We had some great examples in chapter 11, and now we take a, another turn to chapter 12. And so as children of God, remember, we are heirs. We are joint heirs. We are adopted heirs. We're in this now membership of, of faith, and we'll see a little bit of that in, in 12.1. We're in this membership of, of witnesses of faith, and we're called... We're called to a certain action, and that action is to lay aside sin. You are called to lay your sin aside. Well, how? Well, by, by looking to Jesus. The way you lay it aside is you, you turn to Jesus so that you don't lose heart. You don't quit in the middle of the race. And so we're to offer to God an acceptable form of worship with reverence. Why? So that we can have victory over sin. And so today we're going to review three aspects uh, that will help us conquer sin. That will help us have victory over sin. The first aspect is through encouraging endurance. The second aspect is through divine discipline. And then the third aspect is through heavenly holiness. And so let's get into it. Verse 1. Victory over sin through encouraging endurance. Verse 1, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and protector of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so victory over sin through encouraging endurance. How does that look? Well, first we're encouraged by the heroes of faith that were, were before us. Therefore, we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Uh, we just got done studying this cloud of witnesses. We've got Enoch. We've got Noah. We've got Abraham. We've got Sarah. We've got Isaac, Jacob, Jacob, Moses, right? Daniel, David. I mean, it, it's, it's like we're in this, here we are in this race, and then there's this heavenly cloud of witnesses like watching us perform. And we're to be encouraged by that. We're encouraged by that. Well, how so? Well, because we're not looking at them as though, well, wow, you know, here are all these perfect people that had it so easy. In fact, no. Hey, they have their stories too, right? And we're to draw, we're to glean from their stories and their anecdotes and illustrations. These are real stories and real testimonies. And so... As we look to ask the questions, how? How do we do this? Right? Each and every one of us. How do we do this? Well, the beginning point is, hey, let me encourage you. You can do it. You know why? Moses did it. Abraham did it. Rahab did it. David did it. Not perfect people. They finished the race. How? By laying aside... Every encumbrance and sin, laying aside every encumbrance and sin, which so easily entangles us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So as we kind of unpack this a little bit, 
First we lay aside, we, we cast off, and it, it has again that picture of kind of like, you know, a coat where, look, I can, I can take this off, right? I'm going to cast it aside, get rid of it. If, if there's sin that you have that's, that's entangling you, right? It's like the Christmas lights. I don't care how many times I put the Christmas lights away, and every year I try a different method so that next year I just undo it and it just comes out. It doesn't matter. There's like magic elves that tangle them up, right? Every single year. I can't figure it out. Well, sin, it's like, it's so easy for sin to entangle you like the Christmas lights. You know what you're called? You just cast them off. Cast them off. Lay aside these encumbrances, these, these obstacles, so you're set on this race, and the race itself is going to have its kind of its course tricks. You don't need help from you adding more in there, right? And let's be clear that these encumbrances, these, these obstacles, I mean, that we're talking about sin. Um, we want to be very careful. You know, a lot of times, you know, Christians, we, we like to use euphemisms, right? Oh, he's, he's got problems. He's had it hard. I struggle with some issues. It's sin. Call a spade a spade. When sin is sin, call it sin. Um, there And there is sin that easily entangles us. And there's just obstacles that, that get in the, the way as well. The, these, the idea here, the picture here is, is lay this stuff aside that, that's weighing you down. That, that's handicapping you. Throw it off. Instead, run this race with, with, with endurance. To remember, and I, and I think this is probably the hard thing for us to get our minds wrapped around in, in the Christian faith. And maybe it's because the way it was presented to you, which is, hey, you've got this terrible life. You're, you're this broken down reclamation project, right? And God can make you shiny and new. And God can can chrome you up and God can repaint you and restore you and redeem you and everything is going to be perfect and fine. Well, from a sin standpoint, everything's perfect, perfectly paid for, perfectly atoned for. But you're still not perfect, right? Um, and the course is definitely not perfect. The course is hard. It's tough. There's The course is designed with fixed-in challenges. Um, man versus man. Man versus the course. You guys do remember that there's an enemy out there, right? Seeking whom he may devour. There, there, there's one out there that's an accuser. Accusing you. Reminding God. Hey, God. Uh, did you see that? Get him. Right? Right? trying to weigh you down in your sin so that you don't have victory, so that you allow that to entangle you. But you know what? Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, you know, we can have victory over sin. How? By knowing that others have gone through it and that we can lay this aside. We can run with endurance. And there's a built-in corrective training that we're going to see. And what's that course? Verse 2, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes. 
it, it's 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 that idea going back to Hebrews six, the anchor of your soul. What is the anchor of your soul? The anchor that fixes in there, that's solid, it doesn't move, it keeps you steady, in place, on course, it's Jesus. You think the course is rough and bad? Go off course, right? It's like one of those dune buggy courses where, technically speaking, here's, here's the course, but you can go off course and get back on. Of course, that's going to be harder and take longer and create more problems. Instead, fix your eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he's the author. He's the perfecter of faith. He's the creator. He's the owner. Um, He's the one who sets the course. And so, his work, it's done. He's set the course. He's provided the payment for sin. And now, as he said, it is finished. My job is done. Remember, we're in the book of Hebrews. Jesus is the perfect high priest. The priestly duties, the priestly service of preparing the altar, of preparing the Holy of Holies, of making sure that the blood atoning sacrifices were in place. All that's finished. There's no busy work anymore. Jesus is done. He's sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so that's why we fix our eyes on Jesus. How do we have victory over sin and not lose heart? Because it's easy to lose heart, right? You're in 700th place right now in the race. Or 7 millionth place for some of us. And it's easy to lose heart. But understand, you just got to finish the race to win. You don't have to be first. And we're encouraged to fix our course on Jesus. And know that others have gone on before us. And know that we can put it off. We have power over sin. Well, the second aspect that we see here to conquer sin is is through divine discipline. Divine discipline. And this is where it gets a little little more uncomfortable. Verse 3. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. And so... We have victory over sin now through this divine discipline. Well, what does this look like? Well, first we're instructed, don't grow weary or faint-hearted. Weary, that idea of working yourself to to the point of of utter exhaustion. And and faint-hearted has that that idea of, of losing your zeal, even to the point of just being so weak you collapse. Um, we're called to not be that way in this race. We're called to to then be strong. Well, how 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 then do we run with strength? Well, again, the the picture gets pointed back to Christ. For consider Him. 
Consider Christ. Don't, don't think about yourself. See, this is our first cardinal golden rule problem. We think about ourselves first. Woe's me, bad race, bad conditions, cheaters, obstacles, soreness, right? Well, every excuse in the book that we want to use. And, and, and how am I going to fix this? You are not going to fix anything. It all begins with Christ. For consider him who he endured such hostility by sinners against himself. Why? Why did he endure that? Why did he take on the burden, the yoke? So you wouldn't have to. Because you can't. So that you, in the middle of this race, would not grow weary. So that you would not lose heart. You were not, verse 4, you were not asked to shed the blood yourself. You were not asked to make payment for sin. You were not asked to atone for your sin. God never wanted the blood of goats and bulls, right? We learned that a few weeks ago. God did not want Adam and Eve's crummy, no-good fig leaves. Okay, He could provide the covering for sin. And so we have to shift our attention uh, to Christ. And I love when the Word says this. Have you forgotten? Did you guys forget this? Right? It's like, ooh, ouch. Uh-oh, here it comes. Have you forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons? Look, if you're my child, if you're my child, okay, remember, I died for your sin. You were not asked to die. Don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. The discipline of the Lord. Well, what is discipline? Discipline has this, uh, it's funny, when you look at some words in the, in the, in the Hebrew or the Greek, all of a sudden they, they, they ring a bell, and so you look at this like, padia, and it's like, wait a minute, I remember in education, you had to, they would always ask about uh, um, your pedagogy, right? Or pedagogy, I don't know how to pronounce it. And it's like, what the heck is that? It's like your resume. It's your it's your your educational resume, but they have to use, you know, terms and, and it's kind of like in, in seminary, you know, they want to say eschatology and, you know, phrases like that. It's like, why are we trying to confuse people? Why, why can't we just, ecclesiology, right? So why can't we just say, study the church? Um, but this pedagogy is a method of training a child. The word discipline means the training of a child. Is that negative? It's not a negative thing. It's not a bad thing. It's not a mean thing. It's just the process of, chain, of training. And so what we have here is all of a sudden we have nine times this phrase discipline is getting ready to be used. The interesting thing, and again, is when we think of Hebrews 12, when we're thinking of having victory over sin, the key component then is this divine discipline. So if you want victory over sin, then don't regard the discipline, don't regard the training lightly or faint when you're reproved by him. Who's doing the corrective training? 
God's doing the corrective training. And it, and it may seem harsh, and, and it may seem difficult, but understand this. His standard is perfection and holiness. His standard is perfection and holiness. And if we continue reading, for those to whom he loves, he disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. And for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Did you hear that? If you have no discipline, if you are not being punished, if you are not getting spanked, of which all have become partakers, then you are not, or you are, you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of the spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time that seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems to not be joyful, but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness. Discipline is the most loving thing that a father can do for a legitimate child. Right? For a legitimate child. You know, as a parent, um, parenting is, it's hard. It just doesn't stop. So I, I remember thinking, you know, gosh, you're, you know, you just get through those baby stages, right? My wife was always awesome. You know, she had the kids on like the schedule from day one. So, you know, it's like our kids always slept through the night really quickly because you know, she disciplined them and trained them up, and it was great. And then we were trying to raise these little rascals, you know, so they're respectful and, you know, not going crazy. And, and you think, all right, you know, we're, we're, we're doing all right. And then, you know, teenagers hit, you know, and they're like 13, 14. And you're like, okay, they got some wild hairs and stuff like that. You know, and then all of a sudden, like 15 and 17 hits, and you're like, okay. You know, where's the where's the crash helmet? You know, what's the double seat belt? We're we're in this, right? And it's not ending. Okay, I've got a seventeen year old, I've got a twenty year old, I've got twenty four year olds, and I feel like the party's just getting started. I really do. And and, and praise the Lord, I I I have good kids. I, I really do and, and, and I'm thankful for them. But the discipline doesn't stop. Because the corrective training doesn't stop. Because the sin doesn't stop. And and so, as a loving father, it would be so easy for me to just say, they're old enough. They can do it on their own, right? That's my child. That's my child. And if there needs to be correction, because I love them, then I will do it. And, And the Lord knows there's nothing that would be easier to me just to you know throw them over the knee and give them a little what for um so your discipline changes and it looks different and it's harder but here's the deal what's the goal 
What's the goal? We back to verse ten. For a short time, it, it, it you know, this it's it's hard, right? But we want them to share in holiness. Holiness. This is a word we just don't talk about in the church anymore. This goal of being holy. We 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 love God's grace. We love His mercy, and and Lord knows I I I'm I, I love it, but. At what point do we transition say, thank you, Lord, for being gracious. Thank you for being merciful. Now I'm going to have a lifelong vision and goal of being holy for you. I am not going to sin anymore. That's my goal. Is that even on the, on the radar? And so the discipline then is to help pursue that holiness, the pursuit of holiness. And it may not feel fun or joyful, just like a race. In the middle of the race, it hurts. It's hard. It's long. It's agonizing. But here's the deal. Verse 11. Afterwards, it will yield fruit. And I love I love these pictures of farming. And I'm not a farmer, but I, I wish I were because then they would have even more meaning. And, and, and God understanding that so many of his readers would be you know, not just fishermen, but, but farmers and people who've, who've planted something and, and watered it and, and seen the growth. And I don't care how big your plant is, your flower, your little tomato plant, whatever. There's such a joy when you see that bad boy come to fruit, right? It's, it's so fun. It's so encouraging. This is then what God sees in you when he sees his child blooming forth fruit, right? And he uses that picture uh, in the scriptures in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, right? And so the goal then of this discipline isn't just discipline. It's to help us to have victory over sin. It's not just victory over sin, but it's to yield this fruit, to, to have a finished product. And then it, there's this Transition here, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Does that seem random to you? Seems kind of, wait, we were just talking about discipline. We're just talking about fruit and all of a sudden, well, it does seem random, but it's actually not. It's actually part of this process of discipline. It's part of the process of the grind of the race. It's part of the process of, of going from you know A to Z in this, this planting in the soil. And it's part of the process of rehabilitating sin. Rehabilitating like a body that's now been, been, been weakened, a body that's been injured. Therefore, hey, it's time to straighten the hands that are weak and 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 then straighten the knees that are feeble and make straight the paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame the the limb that is injured or damaged may not be put out of joint but rather be healed it's a very fascinating placement here and the bible does this all the time where it's just like all of a sudden, boom, here's two verses in like this illustration. But it's a pretty cool illustration, again, to show that don't grow weary or faint-hearted in this process. Be healed. Be healed. 
And then we see more application. Verse 14. Verse 14. Pursue peace. Pursue peace with all men that the sanctification which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it may be defiled. So now we're moving into another little illustration. This illustration, look, let's apply it this way. Pursue peace. How do I pursue peace? Um, well, start thinking about things like relationships. Start thinking things, broken relationships and quarrels and arguments and strife. And, and it says, look, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Grace overrides this, this pursuit of, of when men are not pursuing peace Instead, creating strife, creating havoc, right? Instead, verse 15, see to it that no one comes short of grace. Do not be a person who comes short of grace. Again, back to kind of some of that goal setting. What kind of person are you? I'm a person that my goal is to pursue holiness, to be a peacemaker. To buy, How am I going to be a peacemaker? By not being short of the grace of God. God has this, this treasure chest of, of, of grace that he gives out day after day after day. Are you that way? Are you a gracious person? Or do you allow roots of bitterness to develop? The scripture says don't do that. Let no root of bitterness spring up, causing trouble. Kind of going back to that entanglement Right, sin, which so easily entangles us, kind of has that picture of of the root that you know we, we see the tree above, right? What's going on below? Oh man, that, that root system is sprawling out and stretching out and going wide and going down and going deep, and it's it's like tentacles, right? And so, don't let the root of bitterness spring up, causing trouble. And by it that you may be defined. Now we go into another illustration. Verse 16. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau. Who sold his own birthright for a single male. For you know that even afterwards. When he desired to inherit the blessing. He was rejected for he found no place for repentance. Though he sought it. For it with tears. Now I am not going to give this the attention that it deserves or the time that it's required to fully address this. But just to say this, we transition again in, in kind of this, this, this pursuing peace, not letting roots of bitterness. And then we move into, oh, by the way, kind of like we did with, with in Hebrews 11 with faith, you know, we want to throw out some, some good examples. Well, here's a bad one. Here's a bad example for you, which you don't want to do. This guy Esau, remember Esau who sold his birthright? And again, you think, man, I, I, well, I just thought that was like a, a thing about like being hungry and meals and stuff. It's like there's more depth here than meets the eye. What we come to find out in Hebrews 12 and what is revealed to us a little bit more is even afterwards... Even after when Esau understood what he had done and not just getting a meal, but selling his birthright, 
when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was still rejected. When, when, when we sin and we desire to fix it, what do we want? We, we want it fixed. We, we want it back, right? We want the toothpaste back in the tube. He wanted his birthright back. But did he really want it the right way? Well, Hebrews 12 says no. He found no place for repentance. He, Esau apparently didn't think he had did, did anything wrong. He needed to change, repent, change his pattern, right? No. Even though he sought it with tears. Now again, this, is, this should be a whole sermon because I think, whoa, wait a minute. So, even though I feel bad about my sin, even though I'm even moved emotionally to a place where, where I'm in tears, please fix this, please make it right, that has no effect. See, God cuts to the marrow of the soul. He judges the soul. And just like in... Hebrews chapter 11, where we see these guys and, and in their soul, their faith was reckoned to them as righteousness. Esau's was not. And so in the bigger picture, taking a step back now from this, when we seek to have victory over sin, we need to include in that process a desire to want the divine discipline not to run away from it not to shirk from it and not to just want to kind of blow it off cry about it and then that's going to fix everything it's deeper than that and sometimes we have to go through the training go through the spanking go through the punishment go through the trial so that we do produce the fruit. And there's a lot of ways to try to take the shortcuts, but there's really only one path, only one only one course that is set that we have to stay on. And so we have to accept divine discipline. Well, finally, we can see victory over sin through heavenly holiness. Heavenly holiness. Verse 18, for you have not come to a mountain that may be touched and to a blazing fire, and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind, and the blast of a trumpet, and the sound of words which sound was such that those who regard beg that no further words should be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and the myriads of angels to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. Again, there's a lot here to be uncompacted and, and a lot of other verses in the Bible, but just taking that 10,000 kind of view here we're, we're, we're looking at having victory over sin and and as we we back out and take a look at this we have to have this mindset this 
this heavenly mindset, we still get too caught up in the events of just the here and the now. It hurts. I don't like it. It's hard. I don't want it, right? Well, our goal should be that of the desire of Mount Zion. As we continue to work to God and, and try to offer up this form of, of acceptable worship, we, we have to do it with a spiritual pursuit. Zion is a, is a, is a metaphorical city. Okay? It's a metaphorical city for the reminder of heavenly Jerusalem. Okay? It's funny, in, uh, in Los Angeles, in almost, it seemed like every black church in Los Angeles had to have the title Zion in it somewhere. It was because they very under, they, they understood the, the metaphorical, there's this desire for future heaven. Now, part of that is that when you're in different churches and in different environments, you realize in South Central, okay, nobody's under any delusions of grandeur that anybody's holy in the room. Everybody understands their sin, their depravity, their history, and their gratitude and thankful for the grace and the mercy that God has given. And all they want to do is finish this race and get out and get to Zion. Okay? And that's the picture that's being painted here. Um, but there's also this little reminder that's thrown out. Uh, and... and it's referring to Revelation chapter 14, and, and I definitely encourage you to go and kind of study on this. But this reminder of heavenly Jerusalem in Revelation 14 describes a future city and not only the future city, but also this reminder of the sickle judgment. And in the sickle judgment, we see here that this is one of those moments in Revelation where where Jesus is coming through. And we actually used a sickle yesterday to, to chop down, you know, the raspberry bushes, right? And what does that sickle do? It's got that big old hook. And I mean, that's like a hot knife through butter. It just rips right through, right? It cuts it down. It kills it. And the picture there then is, again, for us to be reminded, look, th there's two roads to go here, Okay. You, you can go the path of Zion or you can follow the way of verse 23, God, the judge of all, God, the judge of all. And then this picture then of that's referring to Revelation 14, 14 through 20 of the sickle, of the sickle. See, if we just think that we're living the here and the now, this is what's going to happen. Wait, I did this. I sinned. I didn't repent. I wasn't nice. I wasn't kind. I did it today. I did it yesterday. I did it the month before. I'm okay. I'm, I'm getting through this race, right? And I do all kinds of stuff in the race that seems to... I'm, I'm moving forward. And we seem to have this this little interruption here uh, because the next chapter we're going to see is again back to Christian living but we see this hey guys let me remind you of this um, there's judgment too there's judgment too 
there's a sickle judgment and it's it's not pretty now we can fix that we can fix our eyes on Mount Zion uh, verse 24 fix our eyes and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant right now we're going back to the bigger picture of the book of Hebrews the better covenant the new covenant Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking for if those who did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth much less shall we escape who turn away from him who warned you from heaven so again we're kind of get this 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 picture here of there is refusal right remember in in, in Hebrews 10 those who willfully continue sitting should not have an expectation of the sacrifices of sin being applied to them see to it that you so here's the solution here's the solution by fixing your eyes on heavenly holiness understand that there's heaven there's hell there's Mount Zion or there's the sickle make sure that you don't refuse him make sure you don't turn away like an Esau turned away and his voice shook the earth then but now he has promise saying yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heaven this chapter is is giving us a blueprint for finishing the race this chapter is giving us um, a blueprint of of discipline that's there to help us as legitimate children that's there to to instruct us but in this chapter we're also reminded reminded of who we're dealing with we are dealing with a perfect holy awesome god who's also the judge of the universe and he will judge I, verse 26, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. There's a day coming. And this expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things in order that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, therefore, since we received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, that is the kingdom of God, the future kingdom, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. The race promises difficulty. The race promises that it will be hard. But the race also offers reward. The race offers reward and it offers at the end of the day a fruitful harvest for those who stay the course. And so you can have victory over sin. Just be encouraged by those who've gone on before you. Understand that there needs to be, must be for legitimate children of God, divine discipline. And then understand that that you need to have a heavenly view. 
Because if you have an earthly view, then you think you can get away with this stuff. Because we're all here, right? Nobody's been struck dead because of our sin. So somehow in the back of your mind, you think, well, I guess I got away with it. Maybe I can do it again tomorrow. Don't think that way. Right? The sickle comes. And to many of those who may say, Lord, Lord, and he will say, depart from me forever knew you. You don't need to go down that road. There's no reason for it. No reason. Submit yourself to the loving discipline of your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray.